So just settling into your sitting posture. Noticing the shift from moving about to stillness. Allowing the body to be as comfortable and stable as possible. And allowing the awareness to just open to whatever experience presents itself. Awareness of the quiet in the room here. The occasional quiet sounds. The sense of the body sitting. Any particular sensations within the body to draw our attention. Our sense organs just automatically detecting the stimulus, the experiences that arise. and then being known by the mind that is present, that's awake. It only takes the gentlest, simplest effort in any given moment to connect with what is being known. Often we're making too strong of an effort, jumping on experience, pouncing on it. So if you sense that this is happening, just to notice it and see if you can relax the quality of the mind, the quality of the effort. We can think of the effort that it takes for a butterfly to land on a flower. Just the gentlest, smallest effort, just to land right there, so softly, without disturbing the flower at all. And it's the same quality of very gentle, simple effort that we make just to touch the moment's experience just to barely land on it and register it. Recognizing with wisdom that there will be many, many moments in which we can't make that connection. 
There will be moments when we're lost in thought, the mind wanders, and that is completely natural and normal and beyond our control. Just another thing that the mind does. And it doesn't impede our progress in our practice in any way. When we find that we're awake, we're present again, then we just simply remember. Remember to be aware again, just wherever we find ourselves in that moment. There will also be many moments where awareness is present but maybe not with the quality of clarity or precision that we think is necessary. We may be aware that the experience is vague or fuzzy, not clear. There may be awareness present, but just in kind of a general way not very precisely connecting with subtle or small phenomena. There may be moments when we're aware, but we're somewhat overwhelmed by all of the experiences arising. It's a little bit more than we feel like the mind can connect with, but still there's awareness and presence. So all of those states of mind Those qualities of awareness and knowing are things that we can also be aware of. Just recognizing, oh, the awareness right now is a little bit vague. The awareness right now is a little bit fuzzy. This is what awareness feels like when it's not so sharp. Those are all qualities of mind that we can recognize even when the objects of awareness themselves may not be so clear, may not be so obvious. If we notice ourselves looking for or trying to manufacture a certain quantity or quality of awareness, leaning into the moment, trying to force it to be a certain way. That too is just a perfectly natural function of mind that can be noticed. Just noticing, oh, this is what the mind feels like when it's craving. This is what the mind feels like when it's filled with hope or expectation or longing. All of those just more mental states to be recognized and known. And when we get to those places where we feel like any kind of effective awareness is just not available, then we can bring in one of the techniques that we're familiar with to help to steady the mind 
to ground the awareness, just in connecting with the breath, the body, sounds, whatever we've learned from our experience is helpful.
So do you have any questions this morning about your practice? So you're hearing that thinking is a hindrance. And is there any quality of thinking that can support practice? So thinking is not a hindrance. (laughs) It's not included in any of the lists of hindrances. Things like uh, craving, aversion, difficult energetic states, high or low energy, doubt are hindrances. But thinking itself is not a hindrance. It's just a natural function of the mind. That's what the mind does. You know, the eyes see. That's what the eyes do. If we have our eyes open, if they're working, if there's light, then we see. It's just what the eyes do. And it's the same with the mind. The mind thinks. If the mind is working, it's in good health, and we're conscious, we're awake, then the mind thinks. That's what it will do. So we don't need to struggle with that. What we're working with here is just becoming aware of that thinking just as we become aware of the seeing and the hearing and all the other sense experiences that come into the mind. That being said, there are places for skillful thought in our practice. And I spoke a little bit about this last night in terms of skillful aspiration. So one of the things that we do here is that we do the metta chanting. That's a form of skillful thinking, cultivating that intention of opening the heart. And we do that consciously, mindfully. So it's very different from being lost in thought or indulging thought. It's a kind of thinking that we take up very deliberately out of wisdom with the understanding that 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 is going to be supportive of strengthening wholesome qualities of mind. And there are a number of examples of that. So at times we may set the aspiration uh, that our practice may be a benefit to all beings, connecting with that wisdom, that wholesome intention in the heart. And there are many times also, as we all see, um, you know, in the course of our practice, we kind of develop our inner Dharma teacher. You know, so we hear the instructions, we hear the talks, and we take in that information. That's helpful information. That's part of the path, is the, the first step on the Eightfold Path is wise understanding, skillful understanding. So having a, a correct and appropriate, a supportive, conceptual framework for what we're doing here, for where we're headed. And again, that's something that we engage in skillfully, mindfully, with awareness, with discernment, recognizing those times when maybe we need to give ourselves just a few moments of a pep talk, you know, encouraging ourselves. And we can do that with awareness. So again, not indulging and getting carried off in thoughts of, you know, what are we doing in the practice and what's going on, but just taking a few moments to reflect, you know, why are we here? what's needed in this moment, whatever it might be. So there's that function of mind that happens, right? It happens in the course of practice. And again, that's fine. That's what the mind does, just to include it. We do it with awareness. We do it with discernment. Does that help? (laughs) Okay. So when you get mindful, you feel like you're quietly drowning in your saliva. (laughs) 
that's something that happens. <laughs> what's what's the experience of that like? Okay. <laughs> I think you've hit upon, you've touched upon the key there, yeah. This is something that the mouth does. <laughs> and it's a, it's a quite common phenomenon. I remember going through periods of, you know, having that constant kind of swallowing uh, impulse coming up. Anybody else having that or had that? Yeah. It's not uncommon. So it's, it doesn't need to be a distraction, just like anything else doesn't need to be a distraction. In fact, if we get interested in it, it can actually be quite fascinating. You know, that's something that's actually just a normal function of the body that we don't normally pay attention to. So can you get interested in it? You know, notice those sensations, kind of the elemental sensations of the saliva in the mouth. You know, there can be warmth, tingling, pressure, all sorts of sensations. You can notice the feeling tone of it. You know, initially maybe it's okay, and then there comes a point where there's a feeling of it's not okay anymore. I have to do something about it. So noticing the craving coming up, noticing if there's a thought, noticing the impulse to swallow. And then go ahead and swallow and notice what does that feel like? All the contraction in the throat, you know, and noticing if there's a point where then it feels okay again, there's relief. So all that whole process, you know, something that we can include in the practice. It doesn't need to be any kind of a distraction, just like anything. Okay, so the question is about equanimity and the difference between equanimity and indifference. No, it's really more about recognizing the quality of indifference specifically. I feel like I don't quite understand it. Is it, you know, does it have an element of aversion in it all the time? Like, would I feel like, um, you know, sometimes one isn't necessarily interested in, like, is a direction of practice to become like more interested in sort of everything or mm-hmm. so it's more about distinguishing what's the particular characteristic of indifference how to recognize it when well, it arises it kind of, yeah. I guess, differs from apathy or whether the terms are used kind of interchangeably mm-hmm. well to some extent it's a matter it's a matter of our own kind of particular idioms you know and how we conceptually define different states of mind and that's going to vary a little bit for each of us so it's perfectly fine, you know, one of the things that we're doing here in practice, it's kind of like we're developing our own personal catalog of all of our different mental states. And that will vary a little bit from person to person. So to some extent, you know, I can put it back on you and say, well, look and see in your own experience, what do you notice about these different flavors of disconnection? And in general, we could say that indifference is it's kind of a subtle form of aversion. There's this little bit of distancing, of pushing away. You know, it's not nearly as dramatic or as obvious like as, ang- as anger or fear, where there's this really dramatic, you know, no, I don't want this. It's just a little bit of a subtle making of, uh, putting up a barrier, forming a disconnect between ourselves and the experience. But that's different from intellectual boredom or mental disinterest, where there just may be a certain topic that the mind's not interested in. 
Indifference is, is really about the quality of the heart and the connection with the experience in the moment. So whether we're opening our attention, whether we can embrace the moment's experience, whatever it might be, with, regardless of whether it's particularly appealing or interesting to us on an into, more of an intellectual level. So it's a, it's a heart connection rather than the intellectual connection. Sounds like you, you've got a good understanding of it. And there's one teacher uh, that when asked, uh, well, what are we? He said, well, we're the collection of all of our bad habits. <laughs> and when asked, uh, well, what do we take? You know, there's this idea of rebirth in the Dharma. What do we take with us from one life to another? He said, all of our bad habits. <laughs> so I mean, there's a way in which... Um, you know, we could look at a, our personalities as being the collection of all our bad habits. But it's also important to remember that those are just impersonal forces of mind. You know, we're the ones that uh, put that concept on it of personality. You know, what is personality? If we really look, is there a personality? I mean, this is a very fruitful area of investigation. What are we beyond all of our bad habits? What else is there? What really is the nature of this thing that we call me, that we call personality, that we call self. And this is part of the ongoing investigation that we're doing here, just what's in there and what really makes us up. So, you know, in the West, we have all sorts of kind of psychological concepts about, you know, how the self is constructed and, you know, the ego and all these different parts of the self. But here we're really uh, looking to go beyond that. You know, to just see those concepts, if they come up for what they are, they're just ideas about what we are, and to look into the heart and mind and see directly what are we really? What is this experience we call me really composed of? What's its true nature? And that's something that takes time to reveal itself, so we don't need to answer that immediately. We're gathering all of the data, all of the information here that will allow us eventually in that moment of insight to really see, to really penetrate, penetrate through. What is this thing that we call me, I? Does that help? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm experiencing various things, you know, the ankle, whatever's going on, the sounds, you know, moment to moment. Is it okay to, to ask myself, you know, how I feel about these various things to kind of tune into the whole, you know, observing attachment thing? So the question is that you're noticing various experiences, physical sensations, yeah. As, and is it okay to ask herself how she feels about them? 
that's one of the, the instances of this kind of skillful reflection or wise reflection that we can use. Um, at times when we feel like, uh, as Kamala was saying yesterday, there might be an elephant in the room that we're missing, you know, that there's some relationship to the physical experience that's going on in the mind that we're missing. So we could use this little question, you know, come up with our own question to kind of jog our awareness to point us towards an area where we might pay more attention. So what's going on right now? Or how does the mind feel about this? And again, not getting caught up in thinking about it, pondering it, trying to figure out intellectually how we feel about it, but just kind of using that inquiry to open the space, to open the space of investigation, to allow what else might be there to emerge. So we can use that in just a very gentle way at times when we feel like there's something that we're missing. But also to remember not to be too heavy-handed with that. We don't need to make that uh, our modus operandi, where we're constantly asking, what's going on, what's going on, what's going on? But to be you know, skillful and discerning about where we bring that in and when. Yeah. OK. Oh, one, OK, one, one more. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So did everybody hear that? No. Okay, so the question is about, you know, as we're sitting and we're kind of still and we're quiet, the mind can start to really put together the psychological pieces of our life. You know, we might start to have some insight into our relationship with our mother or, you know, some past trauma or whatever it might be, right? And what's the place for that in this practice? Is that what it's you're asking about? So... There are different levels of insight that we can have, and that kind of personal psychological level is one of them. And just as you're describing, and again, that's a very common experience, I think, that as we're here and we get quiet, we start to get more clarity about how our minds are wired and the effects that our you know, past history and all of our conditioning have had on our lives. And we might start to see really interesting connections and get that kind of psychological insight into why our minds are wired the way we do, things that have been hanging us up, places where we might be able to grow more on that personal level, that individual level. And if those thoughts come, then those are just thoughts to be known as thoughts. So here, as as 
at, at other places that you're describing. It's not to, to indulge in those thoughts, not to deliberately engage in those thoughts. They might go on anyway. It might happen just naturally, and that's fine. But just to, to keep that within the realm of awareness, not getting drawn into deliberately engaging with them. Just noticing them come and go and change as they are, noticing what emotions they might give rise to, feelings in the body, just keeping them right there within the realm of our awareness, just something else to pay attention to. And they'll do their thing. And it may be that after the retreat, those are things that we then do want to engage with consciously and, and deliberately and consider and bring into our lives. But here's not so much the place uh, for doing that. We want to keep them really within the realm just of awareness, just as another phenomena that arises and passes. And there's another level, the deeper level of Vipassana insight that is also available to us here. This is why we're keeping everything within the realm of our awareness, just seeing things as they are. And this has to do more with the universal level of insight. You know, so each of us in our individual lives has specific kind of personal psychological insights that we may have. But then there's this deeper level of universal insight into qualities of heart and mind that are really common to all of us that as human beings we all share insight into the impermanence of phenomena, the fleeting nature. And we come to see this just by noticing moment after moment what's happening, seeing how thoughts come and go, feelings come and go, physical sensations come and go. At some point, there's enough of a critical mass of information, of data, of directly seeing that, that we really get it. It gets in on a deeper level. We really get that truth about the fleeting nature of reality and all of our experience insight into the suffering nature, the unsatisfying nature of our experience, that because it is all going, no matter what we get, it's not going to permanently satisfy us. It's not the place where we can find lasting peace and happiness. An insight into the impersonality of all of our experience, that really there's no me, no self, no personality in the conventional sense that we think about it, that's sitting here doing this practice. It's just impersonal phenomena, functions of body and mind, arising and passing, arising and passing, and that there's not this organizing principle of me in the way that we tend to conventionally think about. So the, that level of deeper universal insight is really what we're, we're getting at here, and that may be spoken about more in some of the, the talks in coming days. So. Another day of practice. Carry on. <laughs> Kamala asks that uh, those people that have interviews with her, if you can please keep an eye on the door. And when the person before you comes out, then you can just go right ahead and go into the room so that uh, we can keep things uh, moving along. But Winnie will come and retrieve her, <laughs> her interviewees. <laughs> so you get to experiment with different kinds of interviews. 